Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 21 and stand with me. John 21 and stand with me, if you would. John chapter 21. John 21. And uh, I'm just really proud of myself. I didn't mess up and I didn't forget the specials. Amen. I did that a couple weeks ago, and ever since then, I've lost a lot of sleep over it. So when someone tells me we got a special, I'm like, special, special, special. Um, so, yeah, we got it. We got two today. That was a blessing. John, and by the way, young ladies, uh, you did just sang a little bit ago. That was amazing. Amen. Uh, that was really good. Um, and uh, I love the place that you guys are at because you don't care if one girl talks to a boy. or It's coming. It's coming. It's going to get really awkward in a couple of years. We're glad for where you are right now. Amen. Amen. John chapter 21. Also, let me just say this much. Um, remember this. Any boy who wants to talk to you has to go through your dad, right? He has to go through your dad. Then he has to go through pastor and brother Craig and a bunch of other people. And we're going to run background checks and check their work history. And make, amen. Make sure they got a job. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Uh, you know, guys, just stay away from him. Amen. John 21. John 21. Uh, I want to I preach to you this morning about learning to let go of plan B. Amen. Uh, I think oftentimes it's really easy to fall in the trap of, well, God's got a plan for me, but if it doesn't work out, I'm going to go do this. Right. And let me tell you something. You want to learn to let go of plan B. Look at John 21, starting in verse, one, uh, verse number 1. After these things... Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this, well, this is a, a proof of the resurrected Savior in writing. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other, unnamed, two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith to them, I go a fishing. Is Miss Cindy here? Where is, Miss, is she here right now? Tonight? There you go. Yeah, Peter was a southerner. I go a fishing. Amen. There you go. It's proof right there. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught what? They caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, children, have ye any meat? They answered him, no. You know why they didn't have any meat? Because they were doing something that God didn't tell them to do. And when you go down your own road and do things your own way, it's real fruitless. Uh, Look, if you would, at verse 6. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Now, I just want you to paint in your mind this mental picture that you're an expert commercial fisherman, and some stranger is yelling at you from the shore. And he's like, hey, uh, Lincoln, you didn't do it right. Cast it on the right side. And if Lincoln's a commercial fisherman, he's like, hey, jerk, I'm the expert here. Right? I mean, like, who are you to tell me how to do my job? And and yet there's this person unknown to them who we know as the Lord saying, cast it on. If I'm Peter, I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't try that side. Uh, You're right. I worked all night long and forgot that side. Of course I tried that side. But, But look what happens if you would at verse Number seven, verse number six, and he sent to them, casting in the right side, and you shall find they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. 
And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Isn't it interesting that sometimes you go searching for something and you leave where you're supposed to be and it was there the whole time? What, what, what did he go to catch, guys? And you know what was waiting for him when he got there? Verse 11. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 150 and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. You say, what, are you, what, are you, what did we just read? We just read Peter trying to live out his plan B and failing miserably until the Lord showed up. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Brother Eric Alcorn, if you'd ask God's blessing on the word this morning. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Be seated if you would. What you're reading here, guys, is uh, Peter living out his plan B. And uh, you know what's interesting about the characters in the Bible? It's easy to look at them and where they mess up and go, oh, yeah, I see where Peter messed up. But there's a lot of Peter in all of us. There's this desire to kind of control the situation and if things don't work out like I want them to, then I've got this. And you say, what is it? Well, it's a, it's a lack of faith. It's a need for security. It's a need for control. It's a, an inability to let go and let God do his thing. And it's, it's our impatience. It's our frustration when things don't work the way that we expect them to, that we say, you know what? I've got this plan in case God himself doesn't work out. Anybody ever been there before? And man, let me tell you something. Living by faith is easy until things don't go the way you want them to. Uh, there's an old song, uh, the God of the mountain is still God in the valley. You know that song? Uh, I, that life is easy when you're up on the mountain and you've got peace of mind like you've never known. But when things change and you're down in the valley, don't lose faith for you're never alone. We talk of faith when we're up on the mountain, but talk comes so easy when life is at its best. Amen. But in the valley of trials and temptations, that's when faith is really put to the test. And the God on the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make them right. Amen? Amen. But it's not always easy to see that. As a matter of fact, I want to call your attention to the fact that they were working all night long. And it wasn't until, look if you would at verse number four, but when the morning was now come, you ever go through periods of of your life where it just feels like things are darker than they should be and things don't make sense and it's kind of like, it's kind of like nighttime and then when the morning comes, you kind of see things a little bit more clearly, not exactly as you want, but just a little bit more clarity. That is where Peter and the disciples are at. And let me just say this, Peter, if you don't know his entire story, it's worth visiting the gospel of Matthew. Come with me, if you would, to Matthew 17. I want to show you because it's easy to look at Peter, if you don't know the entire story, and go, what does it mean that he's living out plan B? Well, can I remind you that Peter was a fisherman? And when the Lord showed up to Peter and his brother, Andrew, along with James and John, they were partners in business that, that the Bible says over there in the Gospels that straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. 
In other words, the Lord called them from this old life and said, look, this is what you're familiar with. This is what you know, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I'm going to do something supernatural with your life over the next three and a half years. I I don't think Peter and Andrew and James and John had any idea what God was going to do with their lives. They were just stepping out on faith. And when they did step out on faith, you know what they did? They forsook their nets and their ships and their business and their family, and they followed Christ. You say, what is that? It's called discipleship. So let me ask you this. What is it called when you leave everything that that you know and you love and you follow Jesus Christ? We call that discipleship. What is it called when you go back to it? It's called living out your plan B. It's called, you know what? Maybe Jesus didn't really work out like I intended him to. Look, if you would, at Matthew 17. Can I just show you that Peter is, is someone that is part of the inner three? He's part of the chosen few. Uh, oftentimes you'll read about Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. And if you're, if you're Peter's brother, by the way, if you're Andrew, you might be frustrated because you're like, Peter's a loudmouth, boisterous, arrogant, know everything, always open his mouth, jerk. That's what Andrew would think. And yet here's Andrew on the outside, and it's Peter, James, and John. Look at Matthew 17. We need to acknowledge Peter's position. Look at Matthew 17, verse number one. And after six days, Jesus taketh who? Peter, James, and John to his brother and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. Not going to read the whole passage, but here's what happens. Moses and Elijah, a picture of the law and the prophets show up and Jesus right in the middle. And they look at Jesus Christ as if he was come back in his, all of his glory. And as they look on him, uh, they're filled with fear. And the Lord tells them not to be afraid. And he tells them, don't tell anyone about this until after I'm risen from the dead. And so here he brings these inner three and Peter is part of that group. It is important to acknowledge that Peter was at the pinnacle of his life when he was brought into that inner three. How do you go from being that guy to being the guy that says, I don't know the man, and you know what? I'm done with this Christian life. I'm going to go back to fishing. How does it happen? Can I say it like this? One decision at a time. We need to acknowledge his position. Can I say this as well? You need to acknowledge his passion. Go back a few chapters. Look at Matthew 14. Matthew 14. I love when people are preaching about Peter and how he failed and took his eyes off the Lord when he walked on water. But it's kind of like, every once in a while, like, guys, let's not forget, there's only two guys that ever did that, and Peter's one of them. If you were 50% of all of humanity that ever walked on water, man, that'd be kind of a big deal. <laughs> look at Matthew 14. Look, if you would, at verse number 28. Matthew 14, 28. The Lord calls him, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou bid me come unto thee on the water... And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, you know, if I was Peter, I would have been like, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And when the Lord said, come, I would have been like, and Lord, if you could just clap three times. And Lord, if you could make the lightning stop over there and make the wind stop over here, and then I'd really know it was you, and then I'd walk. Listen, Peter is a passionate man, so passionate, he's the only one that gets out of the boat and walks on water to the Lord. That's a big deal. (laughs) You cannot ignore this in the character of Peter. But can I say this? Sometimes your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. Look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, just showing you some things about Peter and how I think he got to his plan B. Look at Matthew 16. Look, if you would, at verse 21. 
From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him. Who's the him? He took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You say, what is that? Man, there is a lot of passion inside of Peter. So much so that Peter's like, Lord, I don't know what you're thinking, but I'm thinking that a different plan might be better than the one you just listed. Lord, I, I, matter of fact, I'm so certain of it. We could accomplish so much more. We could stand up for so much more. We could do so much more. If you would not allow yourself to get arrested and betrayed in the hands of sinners, come on, Lord, let's fight this thing. And the Lord's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You say, what is that? A lot of passion. Sometimes we have a lot of passion. Sometimes we're so convinced our plan is right and God's wrong. And you know what the Lord has to do with Peter? He has to tell him. Look if you would at verse number 23. He turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me. Can you imagine having a church service and someone says something that's a little bit contrary to what I just said? And I look at them and say, get thee behind me, Satan. I don't know why I'm looking at Tim right now. I don't know if it's the goatee or what it is. But, but, but if I did that, you'd be like, man, what a jerk. If you're part of a group of 12 guys, I looked at one of them and said, you're the devil in so many words. You'd be like, man, what is wrong? What got into him? You know what got into Jesus Christ? The truth. And you know what he was speaking? The truth. And listen, let me just say this right now. Your passion and your emotions are not to be compared with the truth of God's word. You might feel like you're so right, and you might feel like God is so wrong, and you might feel like, I just know in my heart of hearts, if God said it, that's right, and you're wrong. (laughs) No matter how you feel, Peter didn't understand that. Peter looked at his life, and he goes, man, it was my passion that got me to forsake my nets and follow him. It was my passion that got me out of the boat walking on water, and it was my passion that led to the Lord saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Look if you would at John chapter 18. John 18. Now let's give Peter a little bit of slack, can we? Can we do that? Uh, Let's say that you don't know the rest of the story yet, okay? Let's say you're not a New Testament Christian. You are not post-resurrection. In other words, you don't know what's going to happen after he's uh, killed and crucified and and buried. You're not sure how this is all going to play out. And you don't know the whole story. And let's just say, for example, that one day the Lord's like, my time has come. I'll be betrayed in the hands of sinners. And if you don't have a sword, buy a sword. Uh, let's, let's put it in the modern vernacular. If you don't have a Glock yet, get yourself a Glock. All right? And so, and so the, Peter's hearing this, and Peter's like, okay, finally, finally, we get to fight back. Man, I've been trying to convince him. I tried a couple chapters earlier. I said, Lord, be it far from thee. You should not allow yourself to be committed in the hands of these sinners. We can fight this. And now the Lord is finally on track with my plan. Lord, I sure am glad you kind of finally figured it out. You finally figured out that you didn't know what you were doing, and I did. I'm glad you read those suggestions I left in the suggestion box of prayer. Lord, I know what you said, but I really think. Lord, I know what you're doing, but I really think. Lord, if you just understood that I know what's right for my life. And so Peter says, uh, here's the Lord. And the Lord says, hey, if you don't have a sword, go buy one. Peter buys one. Well, what do you buy a sword for if you can't use it? 
I mean, if someone tells me, hey, man, we're going to get attacked. I want to make sure you have protection. And then we get attacked. And then I get, you know, pull my whatever defense mechanism out. And, and I know where we're at these days. You mentioned the G word. You know, the defense mechanism, you pull it out. And then all of a sudden, the same person tells you to go buy it, says, put it up. I'd be like, are you for real? Why would you tell me to buy this, and then when I use it, you tell me to put it up? Lord, I just don't get your plan here. Look at John chapter 18. Look, if you would at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall, shall I not drink it? Can you imagine the frustration if you're Peter? The Lord says, Go sell, sell what you got, go buy a sword. Why? Because they're going to come get me. Okay, I got my sword. They come. What makes sense, guys? Pulling out the sword and using it. And, and yet, the Lord turns to Peter and says, what are you doing? I mean, if it's me, I'm like, what do you mean, what am I doing? You told me to buy a sword. They're coming to get you. I'm doing what makes sense. <laughs> and Lord, by the way, this kind of falls into my plan, so I kind of like the idea of cutting someone's ear off. You know what the Lord does? He, that is probably all the ladies here are probably grossed out by this. The Lord grabs that ear and puts it back on that head. He didn't have to do that. He did that to show that servant, hey, look, this wasn't your collateral damage. You got caught in the crossfire, and I'm sorry, man. What great compassion the Lord had. But can I give you a little bit of an insight into the window of Peter's life as to why maybe he's leaning towards plan B? I mean, if you stand up for the Lord and he tells you, nope, that's not where you get thee behind me, Satan. Okay, that's... Strike one for me. And then I get out of the boat and I sink. That's strike two. And he tells me, oh, you have little faith. That'd be strike two. Hey, I just walked on water, Lord. Did you not see that? Yeah, I saw that. Oh, you little faith. Are you kidding me? <laughs> little faith, I got out of the boat. I walked on water. Look at the rest of those guys. Here they are taking pictures, you know, uploading it on Twitter and Instagram, whatever else. And Peter's like, turn the videos off. At least I walked on water. And then the Lord says, get a sword. And I get a sword and I, I use it finally. And the Lord says, put it up. I'd be a little frustrated. And I might lean towards what I thought was best for my life versus what God thought was best for my life. Look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. So in John 21, you know what you're reading? You're reading the... What I believe could have been the very end of Peter's discipleship. 
If this conversation that, that's going to happen later on in chapter 21 of the passage we're reading, if it never takes place, you don't read in Acts 2 about Peter preaching and thousands of people getting saved. You don't read about Peter's shadow healing those that are sick. You don't read about Peter and John grabbing that lame man and saying, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You don't read about Peter getting thrown into prison and miraculously the chains falling off. You don't read about Peter going and preaching the gospel to Cornelius and Cornelius getting saved. None of that happens if what takes place in John 21 doesn't happen first. You know what you're seeing? You're seeing the end of someone's life when they're living out their plan B. Look at Matthew 26. I'll give you a word of verse number 75. Verse 74, rather. Then began he to curse and to swear saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before, isn't it funny how the Bible comes in your mind at the weirdest times? Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Can I give you some examples of plan B in the Bible? How about sin? You know, sin is the most, the, the greatest example of plan B I can look at in the universe. You know what God does? God takes a man and a woman and puts them in a garden in a perfect existence, gives them a perfect marriage, gives them perfect hobbies, perfect habits. Everything's perfect. The food is perfect. There's no pesticides. There's no need for pesticides. I'm thinking if if I'm God, there's no mosquitoes in the Garden of Eden. Amen? I mean, like, why would they need to be there, you know? And and so so here you have a, a curse free environment, and you say, what ends up happening? But I want that. You're telling me that genocide and rape and murder and hatred and pride and envy and theft and grand theft auto and breaking and entering and all the stuff we're dealing with in society and drug addiction and all of that is because of one couple's plan B? Absolutely yes. Yeah. How about Abraham? God says, Abraham, I want you to go into a new land. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Well, God, that's great, except for I'm old and I don't have kids. Don't worry about that. I've got a perfect plan. And Abraham goes, fine, Lord, I'll follow you. He leaves his father and mother's house. He goes out into a country which he did not know. Uh, The Bible says in Hebrews, and he seeks for a a, a country whose builder and maker, a city whose builder and maker is God. And so Abraham, by faith, follows the Lord. But then he kind of got tired of waiting on God. And his wife said, hey, honey, I'm not getting any younger. And this whole plan that you and God came up with, it just doesn't make sense. Like, you're pushing, you know, the centennial mark, and I'm old, and things just don't, I mean, I mean, here we are having a baby in our 40s, and we think that's bad. I mean, having one in your 90s, <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> I mean, there's Abraham and Sarah and and, and, and they're going, looking at this thing going, Lord, we know what you said your plan was, but it just doesn't make sense anymore. It was romantic. It was fun. It was exciting at the beginning. But now it just seems like work, waiting on you to work. And God, I'm just tired of waiting. So Abraham, here's Hagar. Plan B. How's that working for peace in the Middle East? You understand what I'm saying? 
Your, your plan B, all throughout the Bible, we read about Israel, and God brings them miraculously through the Red Sea and brings them out of Egypt and all the plagues and the slaying of the firstborn son, and God brings them in the wilderness and feeds them manna from heaven, and then Moses goes up on a mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. He's gone, and you know what they do? They go, man, that was a great trip. It was really fun following God. Let's build a golden calf. You say, why? Oh, just, you know, plan B. This didn't work out. So I got this plan. Sound familiar? A man named Achan was told, don't take of the accursed thing. And we're fighting the battles, and we're going to win, and we're going to take over, and God's embracing the promised land. But just in case, just in case God's wrong, and just in case I might need this stuff later, I'm going to get that wedge of gold, that Babylonian garment, and I'm going to bury it in my tent. You say, what was that? That was his plan B. How about this? How about being Judas and playing both sides? You say, what is that? That's a classic example of plan B. What if it doesn't work out with the Lord? I've got this plan over here. You know how that plan ends? With suicide and bitter tears. Look, if you would, at John chapter number 21. Let's go back there. Can I give you a couple of reasons why you need to let go of plan B for your life? Number one, can I say this? Whether you realize it or not, your plan B affects other people. Look at John chapter 21. John chapter 21, look if you would at verse number 3. Uh, well, what does Peter say here? What are the first two words out of Peter's mouth? I go. I go. Well, what, what is that? That's just me. I don't need anyone else to come with me. I'm just going to go do my own thing. Can I say this? Uh, in the verse, in verse number 2, you look at who's there. There's Peter, there's Thomas, there's Nathaniel, the two sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples who we don't even know what their names are. That one man's decision affects six other people. You go, well, how do you know that? Well, look what it says in verse number three. After he says, I go, what do they say? We'll go. Well, 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 the Lord called us away from all this fishing stuff. Peter, do you remember that? Yeah, but I'm going. I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to do my thing. I'm living out my plan B, and I'm going to do my thing. And what I do doesn't affect anybody else. That's a lie. What you do affects a lot of people around you. You going after another, that second plan that is not God's plan for your life, can I say this? There's collateral damage in the process. Adam and Eve, would you not say that we are some of the collateral damage from Adam and Eve's decision? Would would you not say that Abraham and Hagar had collateral damage? That Achan, his family was stoned just like he was. David and Bathsheba, Tamar, Amnon, Absalom, the baby dies. David numbers the people and 70,000 Israelites die as a result of David's decision. Don't tell me what you do doesn't affect other people. You say, well, I'm just going to go. Well, when you go, it turns into we go. Well, I won't take anyone with me. Let me just say this much. When, when Nathaniel and Philip are learning about the Lord, you know what, what happens? They say, hey, just come and see. Come and see. Can I say this? The same way that come and see works to bring people to Christ, it can work to bring them away from Christ. You say, well, it's just my life. It's just my decision. I'm just doing my thing. You are not an island. Quit thinking selfishly. Start understanding that the character of Jesus Christ, the person, the ministry, was about serving other people. 
the decisions that I make, the attitude that I have, the spirit that I bring, how does that affect the people around me? Oh, it's just me going. Yeah, but you going turns into them going. What a selfish statement, I go. (laughs) You know what the problem is with I go? The ego, that's the problem. It's all about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I think is best. And that's why the Bible says, in the last days, perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. I will not, I refuse to teach my children to love themselves. I will teach them to love God. And if they can fall in love with God, they will fall in love with who God has made them to be. You know why? You don't have any hard time loving yourself. Lead balloon, boom. You know why? Because everything is inside. You just need to love yourself. You just need to love yourself. No, you have, you've got plenty of practice with that. It's called your entire life. You were born that way. That, listen, that baby does not ever say to my wife, Mom, take a break. Put your feet up. Get a massage. That baby, when she's hungry, ah! why? Because you're born selfish. And if it's not for you recognizing this is my problem, I want to submit that to the Spirit of God. And when I make decisions, God, would you help me to make them in light of those around me? I go. What's the big deal? Well, it's a big deal because you're ignoring the collateral damage. I read a really interesting story I I thought was interesting. It was about meals in heaven versus hell. I mean, when I first started reading it, I just thought for sure it was just Taco Bell because it should be Taco Hell. I thought that's what it would be. <laughs> like, but I read this story about meals in heaven and hell, and it was, they, they both illustrated this thing. They, they illustrated the fact that in heaven you've got a four-foot-wide table and everyone sits down, the food's perfect. But here's the catch. You have a three-foot-long utensil to, to eat with. And they said, guess what? In hell, same exact thing. Four foot, long, four foot wide table, three foot long utensil to feed yourself. Well, do the math. Kind of hard to... <laughs> do. You understand where we're going here? You know the difference between heaven and hell? In heaven, there's perfect unity, and the person across from you is going here, have some. And in hell, everyone's fighting to get the food in their mouth. You say, why? Selfishness. Do you know what hell is filled with? People who cannot remember, who can't, will never forget what they had and what they were. You know what heaven is all about? It's all about Jesus Christ. Amen. Talk about lacking a little bit of self-awareness, Pete. <laughs> you know what I think happens? I think we forget there's little ships around us. Over there in Mark 4, the Lord tells the disciples to go from one side of the sea to the other And when they get in the ship, the Bible says, a little commentary, you might miss it if you're not reading it real carefully, there were other little ships. You know what the implication is about those little ships? They don't make it. You know what that's called? Collateral damage. Do you realize when you make a decision to go, ah, I'm going to plan B, whether you realize it or not, you're taking people with you. Oh, I don't have any. No, 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 no. It's just me. I'm a single person, and it's just me. No, no, no. Let me just tell you. You'll take church people with you whether you believe it or not. You'll take people around you. The coworker that watched you go to church and serve God and read your Bible, and all of a sudden, you're laughing at what they laugh at, and you're living like them. They're going to wonder, what happened to you? 
You see, there's collateral damage when you don't realize, that's just me living my life. Yeah, but it's not just you living your life. It's you living your life with an audience of people. The Bible says that your life is like an open letter, an epistle known and read of all men. People are reading you like a book. You know why I need to let go of plan B? Because it affects other people. You know why I need to let go of plan B? Because plan B is just the result of your life without God's direction. Look at John 21, look at verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I go. You know what I see? I see a man that's just operating as if God wasn't a part at all of his decision-making process. I go. You know know what plan B is? It's my life being designed and planned by me as a practical atheist, as if God did not. Oh, no, no, preacher, I believe God. I believe the Bible. I believe all that. I'm not an atheist. Yeah, but we can live like practical atheists when we make decisions as if God wasn't around. I go. Can I, can I point something out? Look at verse number one. You know the first three words in this chapter are? After these things. So that makes me wonder, what things? And this is not a deep moment, I promise you, but chapter 20 comes right before chapter 21. So let's go back to chapter 20. After what things? Look at verse number five. You know who two of the first people are to the grave of Jesus Christ? If you guess Peter and John, you got it right. Look at verse five and six. So here's, here's a man that knows that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. As a matter of fact, he's, he's in the upper room later on in chapter 20 when Jesus shows up. Look, if you would, at uh, John chapter 20, verse number tw- 19. After he appears to Mary, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saved them, peace be unto you. Peter was there for that. Thomas obviously was not, but Peter was there for that. He was there to go into an empty grave. He was there to see the risen Savior. And eight days later, look at verse 26, Peter was there again. So you're telling me he sees the empty grave, he sees Jesus in the upper room, and eight days later he sees him again. And still after all that, chapter 21 starts with, after these things. In other words, what in the world is going through Peter's mind? He knows he's risen from the dead. So what's the deal? It got me thinking. And yesterday I was like, well, I don't get it. Why is it that, number one, why why did Peter do this after all that? And number two, where's the Lord during this? You ever think about that? When Peter starts going, what is the Lord doing? Do you know what it says in 1 Corinthians 15? You don't have to turn there, but it says that when Paul was explaining the gospel, he says that, that Jesus was seen of Cephas, and then after that, 500 of the brethren. So you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking that maybe after the Lord reveals himself to his disciples, the Lord is setting in concrete He's doing something supernatural and so big that Peter's not even aware of it. The Lord is revealing himself to above 500 brethren. And you say, how's he doing that? I don't know if he's showing up in their houses going, hey guys, I know he's doing it 500 at one time, but I can tell you this much, it wasn't around Peter in that moment. And so here's Peter for three and a half years. He has the Lord walking with him, talking with him. And now it just kind of seems like I don't know what God is doing next. And because I don't know what God is doing next, I guess I'll just go do my own thing. Do you ever feel that way in the Christian life? You know who the Lord is. You know what he's done for you. But I've got this in-between time. 
and I don't know what God's doing, so I'm just going to, can I tell you, that's the worst way to live your life. You know what's interesting about that? If I'm right, and that's when the Lord is revealing himself to 500 people, you know what that says? You know what that says to us? Sometimes the Lord is doing some really big stuff, and because we're so self-centered, we don't realize what he's doing. And all we can see is, well, he's not here for me right now. God, where are you at? Maybe, maybe if you'd been here, I wouldn't have gone fishing. Maybe if you'd listened, you wouldn't have gone fishing. I invested three and a half years of my life in you. What do you mean you, you automatically, so for a week of your life, I'm not around, and now you decide, okay, we're done with that whole Jesus thing. Let's go back to business. You see the problem with that? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with some of your heart. It's good to be in a church with people that read their Bible. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Amen. Can, can I tell you another reason why you let go of plan B? Because plan B keeps you very busy, but has very little results to show. Look, if you would, at verse number three, John 21, verse three. Then Peter said to him, I go fishing. They said, and we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship, commercial, expert fishermen on seas that they had been on a million times. And that night, they caught what? Goose egg, man. I'm the expert. I've been on these waters how many times? I know when the fish are running. I know when they're not running. I know they're running. And for some reason, man, we worked all night long, and yet we've got nothing to show for it. If you don't know what I mean by that, look, if you would, at verse, oh, verse number uh, uh, five. And then Jesus said to them, children, have you any meat? They answered him, no. And he sent them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast, therefore, now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. You say, what's going on? They had worked all night long, and this time it was different. Why? Why? Because they were listening to God's voice. You ever try something on your own? And you go, man, I got a big old goose egg. And then you say, okay, Lord, I haven't really been listening. Kind of been doing my own thing. And all of a sudden the Lord says, do this. Oh, I've been doing that. You know one of the funnest things as a pastor, I don't think funnest is a word, most fun, most fun. Most fun things as a pastor is when, I, when someone comes to me, they go, here's my problem. I go, here's the Bible. says, Oh, I did that. <laughs> yeah, but did you really? Yeah, I already tried that. You mean you tried it once half-heartedly uh, when you really didn't want to do it. You didn't believe it was going to work anyways. You did it once half-heartedly when after the last 45 years of your life you've been doing it in another way and somehow you're upset that it didn't work out like you wanted to. Maybe go back to the right side of things and allow God to speak into your life and you might catch something. Can, can, I, can I point out, he's an expert fisherman. He ought to know how to handle the net. He knows what he's doing. And yet, with all his expertise and knowledge, he's got nothing to show for it. When the Lord reaches out to Peter the first time, can I, can I remind you kind of how it went? It's kind of similar. He said, hey, you catch anything? We've been working all night. We've toiled all night. We've caught nothing. Well, cast it one more time. All right, fine. At thy word, I'll let down the net. Remember that? Kind of funny how life is kind of cyclical sometimes. The Lord just kind of brings you back to certain moments. And goes, you haven't learned a lesson yet. You see, you, you started over here, 
You left your net. Why did you go pick it back up? Some of you are picking up that net and God says, let it go. You're not careful. You're going to catch stuff you don't want. Sometimes you think you're the one throwing out the net. And let me tell you something. Sometimes it isn't really you. It's something in you and it ain't a good thing. And when you bring that net back in, it's not going to have everything that you want in it. Haggai says it like this. You've sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. That's a good text for going out to a Chinese restaurant, amen? <laughs> you drink, but you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. You know what life without the Lord, you know what life is when you're doing plan B? It's like putting everything into a bag that has holes in it. I'm throwing the net out. I can't catch it. The net's got a bunch of holes in it. Well, no, no, it can't. I'm the expert. I know what I'm doing. I've done this a million times. I've got it. And the Lord's like, you don't got it. I know what you need. And this isn't it. You think by going back to where you started and going back to the old life, you're going to be happy? You won't be happy. You ever feel in the Christian life like you're just spinning your wheels and you're wore out? And there's nothing to show for it. Can I say that's not God's fault? Sometimes because you're doing it in your own power, you're living out your plan B, and you're doing what you think you should be doing, and the Lord's going, hey, let's just get, let's just, let's come to shore. Let's talk for a little bit. You know what Jesus says? I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. The Lord wants to bear fruit in your life as a believer. I don't care if you're a teenager, if you are midlife. I think that's where I'm at now. Is 41 midlife. Is that, can someone help me out? Anybody? Yes. Uh, Miss Cindy, that wasn't nice. She didn't just say yes. She goes, yes. Use midlife. That's what she said right there. Let me, let me tell you something. Whether you're a teenager, midlife, post midlife, we're not going to say old, amen, post midlife, uh, very learned, amen, on the other side of the hill, if you will. It doesn't matter where you're at. God, if you're saved, God wants to bear fruit in your life. And you will not do it if you're doing it your way. And you will work, and you will feel wore out, and your marriage will feel wore out, and your family will feel wore out, and your life will feel wore out, and you'll come to church because you know it's right, and you won't get anything out of the message, and you go to your Bible, and it's dry, and you're going to say, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord's like, hey, let's get back to... Let's get back to where you started because that's where you're at right now. Plan B is kind of a fruitless endeavor. You know what the disciples say when the Lord says, what do you got here? Well, we just got five loaves and two fishes. And they say, what are they among so many? And the Lord goes, oh, that's all I need. I don't need a lot to make a lot happen. I can take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 people. Let's flip it around. I can have enough to feed 5,000 people and still not have enough. You ever feel that way in the Christian life? I've got, I finally get what I think I need, what I think I want, and it's just like it's empty. It's still not, I'm not there. You say, what is that? I'll tell you what that is. That's you living out your own life without God. Look, if you would, at verse number four, go to John 21, verse four. You know why I need to let go of plan B? It steals your spiritual discernment. When you're doing things your way, you don't even see anything that God is doing around you at all. 
Look, if you would, at verse number four. But when the morning was now come, Jesus, who stood on the shore? But, but the disciples, what are the next two words? Knew not that it was Jesus. And then look, if you would, at verse number seven. Therefore, eventually, one of the disciples figures it out. He has that light bulb moment. And he goes, man, how did we miss this? How could we have missed that it was the Lord giving instruction? Look at verse number seven. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, saith unto Peter, it is who? And Peter never saw that coming. No spiritual discernment at all. No understanding of what God is doing around me. Just me doing me. That's what plan B does. Can I, can I point out in verse number seven? <laughs> Peter didn't know it was the Lord. He heard it was the Lord. Did you catch that? He had to hear it from somebody else. You know, it's the worst thing in the world to go through something and someone else has to go, well, that's the Lord working in your life. You go, oh, it is the Lord. And oh, by the way, can I point out, Pete wasn't exactly waiting for the Lord to show up. You know how I know? He's in his birthday suit. Is that, is that PG? Is that okay? I mean, it's what the Bible says. He was naked. Listen, you don't meet the Lord naked. Amen? We're glad you don't come to church that way. Amen? But, but Peter is living the way he's living as if the Lord would never show up in his life again. Isn't it interesting that the Bible uses nakedness as a picture of needing God, God's righteousness and the Lord to clothe you? Isn't it interesting that, that the church of Laodicea, that Jesus, uh, the angel speaks to the church of Laodicea and says, hey, you are naked and miserable and blind and poor and wretched and you can't even see it. You say, why? Just doing my own thing. You know what it reminds me of? Reminds me of Isaac on his deathbed, you know? And Isaac's on his deathbed, and, <laughs> and you know, man, there's a, there's a sound about people that are ready to pass that is uh, indistinguishable when you're around it. And Isaac knows that he has just a few hours, maybe days, if he's lucky, left, and his boys know that as well. And you know the story. Esau's the firstborn, so who should get the blessing? You know what Jacob does? He listens to his mom's advice and he covers his arms because Jacob was a smooth man. You ever look at a family and look at two kids that are polar opposites and go, how did that happen? I mean, I look at Jacob and Jacob, Esau is like the captain, the varsity captain of the football team, maybe the wrestling team. That's Esau, right? And you know what Jacob is? Jacob's like in the fine arts. He's like in the art and drama club. You know, and Esau's out there like killing stuff, you know, and getting furs and putting them on the walls and putting, you know, animals' heads on the walls. And Jacob's like, I just finished the fourth level of Tetris. <laughs> and you look at them, you're like, what happened? What's going on? One was smooth and one was rough. And Esau's the firstborn, so he should get the blessing. And yet Jacob listens to his mommy's advice, and what does Jacob do? Jacob puts these goatskins and, and, and sheepskins on his arms, and he goes to his dad, and listen to what the Bible says when his dad is confronted with someone trying to deceive him. The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And these next few words to me are tragic, and he discerns them not. You know what he was doing? Just going by my feelings. Yep. 
definitely Esau. And the Lord's going, red flag, red flag. Listen to that voice. Sounds more like this. Instead of Esau, listen to that voice. Hey, hey, listen, red flag, this isn't right. Back up. Yeah, but Lord, but I can, I can feel my way through this. I got this. No spiritual discernment at all. I can't see God doing anything. Why? Because I'm just doing my thing. Can I tell you why you'll let go of plan B? Because when you come to the end of your plan, the Lord can really show up in your life. Can I point a few things out? Look, if you would, at verse number five. The Lord inquires and asks him a question that probably grated Peter's ego pretty bad. You got any fish? Who's this guy yelling at us? Here I am, naked, sweaty, working all night, tired. No! No fish! You happy, buddy? You ever gone fishing? And like someone asks you, have you caught anything? And you're like, no, nah. and they're like, they smile. Like, okay, since you left them, I'll find them, right? In verse 5, the truth has to be faced. He, he has to answer no. In verse number 6, the Lord gives instruction. In verse 7, the Lord draws Peter back to himself. Can I say this in verse 8? Those friends that Peter had drug out into the waters are brought back to the Lord as well. Can I point out that Peter jumps in the water? Hey, can I just say this? When you come to the end of your plan B, don't stay there too long. You know what Peter does once he realizes the Lord? He jumps in the water. You say, what is that indicative of? Well, he swims to shore. Guess who follows him? The same people that he drug out there. You know what's happening now? The Lord is showing up, and he's going to do something miraculous in Peter's life. In verse 9, we see that the Lord knows exactly how to set the stage. There's a fire of coals there, and fish laid there. In other words, Pete, listen, I had the meal here the whole time for you. You just wasted all that time all night long without me. In verse 10, The Lord knows how to take what was done during your plan B and make something special out of it in spite of you. He says, hey, where are those fishes at? I'll take them. Man, what a great thing. What a great God that even when we mess up, he can take some things from a period of our life that we would almost in in moments try to forget and he can say, I can do something miraculous with that. In verse 11, The Lord knows how to keep our lives together. Can I point out the net didn't break? (laughs) You know, when you try to do things on your own, things just break. And the Lord says, I can get you 153 fish and the net will be intact. The Lord knows how to make it personal. Look, if you would, at verse 13. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now, verse 14, the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he has risen from the dead. Hey, Pete, you hungry? Lord, you know I'm hungry. Okay, you want some food? I'll tell you what, Pete, I'll cook yours later. Let's eat the ones I made. They're going to taste a whole lot better than yours. And then Peter sits down, and the Lord says, Hey, Pete, do you love me? Look at verse number 
15. Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, <laughs> this is the Adrian version, get over yourself and think about other people. Feed my lambs. He saith unto him the second time, verse 16, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, I mean, listen, look, you got kids? Anyone have kids? And they ask you something, and you answer it, and they keep asking, and they're, like, they're not satisfied with the answer. When can we do this, Mom? Right, Miss Anita? We're going to do it later. Mom, when's later? Is it later yet? Um, can I, can, is later in five minutes? M- Mom, I know you got this going on later. Is that going to be before this or after that? I mean, that's, that's how it is with kids. Here's the Lord. Do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, feed my lambs. And Pete's probably going, oh, that was, that was a little awkward. Hey, Pete, uh, yeah, you love me? Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. I think the Lord's testing Peter because the last time he was put in a position to answer his association, affiliation with the Lord, at the end of that third time, he swore and he cursed. And the Lord's just going, can I push that button on you? That one? That one? You ever feel that way? Because it's true. Verse 17, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved. Oh, I'm so sorry you're grieved, Peter. After all, you're the one that was denied and betrayed and left for dead by your disciples. Peter was grieved because he said unto him, Thou third time lovest thou me? And he said to him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. I love the consistency of the Lord. Okay, just checking. Feed my sheep. So Peter gets to the end of his life. And when he gets to the end of his life in 2 Peter, he writes about, 1 Peter, he writes about the bishop of our soul, the chief shepherd. And I bet you as he's old and frail, and the Bible speaks in later on in this chapter that the Lord tells Peter that when he gets older, he's going to have to have people help him walk around. And, and then, of course, Peter turns to John. He sees John. He's like, what about him? And the Lord's like, man, have you not learned anything? Quit asking about other people. Quit doing it. Listen, you need to focus on our relationship and getting things right between you and me. Don't worry about John. But I, I, can, I can almost envision Peter wakes up one day and he starts feeling that arch in his back and from the beatings that he's taken and from the whippings and being in prison. And he gets up a little bit slower and he sits down to write that letter to those saints and he writes that to that, those, those saints in Babylon, as he writes that thing in chapter 5 about the chief shepherd of their souls and the bishop of their souls, I guarantee you that maybe in his eye there was a little bit of a twinkle, maybe a little bit of a tear rolled down because as he's thinking back on his life and how his life would have been empty, he would have caught all the fish and yet the net of his life would have been broken and empty without the Lord. I guarantee you his mind goes back to John 21 where that relationship was restored, where plan B came to its end and and God's plan A started in Peter's life. Can I say that God wants that for your life? Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to open your word, Lord, to let it soak in our hearts, to let it make a difference.
And God, I pray that even before the piano starts to play, God, that you would move in this place. And Lord, any believer that may feel that there's a little bit of plan B going on when there needs to be a, a, a heavier reliance on you over self. God, uh, maybe it's because of frustration. Maybe it's because of impatience. Lord, maybe it's because they felt like they have failed doing what you asked them to do. Rather than going to plan B, Lord, would you just help them to get back up? Lord, would you help them to cast the net on the right side? God, I pray for your movement. Every head bowed and every eye closed. The Lord has dealt with you. You come forward. The altar is open. Let me say this. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you've never truly been born again, you know what you're living right now? You are living the ultimate plan B. You don't have the Spirit of God inside of you. Your spirit is dead. It cannot connect with God. It's like having a, a cell phone that, that doesn't work. The, 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 the towers are there. The service is there. But the phone is broken. You, let me tell you something right now. You are living out plan B. And let me tell you where it's going to wind you up. In a place that the Bible calls the lake of fire. And God does not, that is not God's plan A for your life. The Bible says when Jesus is speaking to those, those Pharisees and he talks about the end, he says, depart you curse into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't made for you. Don't live out plan B. If you don't know Christ as your savior, get on God's plan A this morning. We'd love to open a Bible and show you how to be saved. Maybe you've resigned and maybe you have surrendered your net to God. Maybe it was at summer camp. Maybe it was at the altar. Maybe it was in your bedroom. And you said, okay, God, I'm done. But now you find yourself picking that net up again. And the Lord's standing on the shore and he's calling you. He's, he's, he's doing it as gently as he can. Have you caught anything? You caught anything yet? Listen to that voice. Get back to shore. Sit at that fire. And allow that relationship to be rekindled with God. Not a, it's not a matter of losing your salvation and gaining it again. It's about that fellowship being restored between you and the Lord. The song she's playing is, He Leadeth Me. Can I just say this? I've, I've watched so many saved people live out plan B and just miss it. They got on a boat, but they missed the right one. <laughs> you see, Peter was in his own ship instead of being in relationship and fellowship with the Lord. You know how you get on the right ship? You burn the wrong ones. In 1519, Hernan Cortez came to the New World. And you know what they did when they came to the New World? You know what he did? He had his men burn their ships so they couldn't find a way to go back. And you know what they did? They set their mission to conquer, and boy, did they do it. A thousand years before that, Alexander the Great reached the Persian shores and told his men, Gentlemen, only forward. There's no way back. You know what they did? They burned their ships. In 208 B.C. at the Battle of Julu, General Zhang Yu told his army this ancient 
Chinese army says, break the kettles. In other words, get rid of the food. Break the kettles and sink the ships. Why? Because I don't want us to be tempted to go back to something that is nothing close to victory. Only forward. Plan B is going to leave you fruitless and empty. Let it go. Let it go. Well, I wonder if I had done that. Let it go. Well, maybe I should. Let it go. (laughs) Quit picking up that net. You see, back when Peter was called into discipleship, he said, okay, Lord, the ship is yours. The nets are yours. I'm leaving my family to follow you. Lord, it's all yours. I told you this at the beginning of the message, and I'm going to close with this thought. There's a little bit of Peter in all of us. You know what Peter says in Matthew 19? Lord, we have forsaken all. We left everything. What shall we have there for? In other words, God, look at everything I gave up to follow you. What am I going to get out of this? You see, even though Peter hadn't messed up yet and he hadn't cursed and swore and denied the Lord and went fishing when he shouldn't have gone fishing, all that stuff, before that, his heart was already moving and I, I, I need to have a plan B in case I don't get out of this what I want. That's the opposite of faith. And when you think that way, you are going to miss out. Thank God at the end of our plan B, the Lord can show up and take the fish and take the nets and just change everything about how we looked at our entire lives. Can I remind you just one and a half pages over to the right, you know what happens? Peter gets up and preaches and 3,000 people are saved. How awesome is that? You say, well, he's the one that cursed and swore and made a mess and, and did this and did that wrong and had the wrong motive here and had that. Yep. But when he got to the end of his plan B, the Lord showed up and he listened. God can do some amazing stuff with your life. Even if you feel like the ship's broken, the net's broken, and everything's broken around you, God can say, I can take that. Just come to shore. Let's talk for a little bit. He leadeth me. Amen. Appreciate that song. That's a blessing. Let's close with a word of prayer. I hope you got something out of the word of God today. And uh, pray that God moves in your life this week and you respond accordingly. As you leave today, I want to encourage you, maybe grab a, uh, a few gospel tracts, maybe grab some Easter invitations on your way out and tell somebody about the great things that God has done for you. And uh, you know one of the ways you can stay on the right path in your life? Be intentional about living the Christian life and not just, okay, good mess is going to go on, do my thing. Okay, Lord, what did, I, what did I do this week that got me on the wrong boat? What was it this week that got me back into the old habits? Oh, I know what it was. There was an emptiness. There was a void. So I tried to fill it with me. Why don't you fill it with the Lord? Start with grabbing some gospel tracts and be intentional about going and telling somebody else about Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him, uh, ask him for his blessing on this week. And by the way, we hope you're here Wednesday night. Uh, I, I will not be here Wednesday. I'll be traveling out of, out of state. But uh, Brother Tim will be preaching the word of God. So he'll be here for that. Uh, the following Wednesday night, we'll be back into our study about our God-given Bible. Hope you're learning some things about where your Bible comes from as well. And I know Wednesday night will be a blessing. Don't miss it. Uh, DBC, uh, what was the theme this week? Pirates. Pirates, that's right. Let me warn you right now. If you come up here with a noodle and hit me, I will show no mercy. 
there will be no quarter on my boat, all right? Uh, let's go, Lord, in prayer this afternoon. Thank God for his blessings on us. Uh, Brother Lincoln, would you ask God's blessing on the message?